Debbie, Miss Cindy. It's not often that the Psalms are dependent on one another. Uh, I, I have in my notes, and I realize how stupid a statement it is, it's not often the Psalms follow one another. Well, of course, they all follow one another. But, but it's not like a regular book of the Bible where, where each chapter depends on what's come before. It's not often that the Psalms are dependent upon one another. But Psalm 21 goes with Psalm 20. Psalm 20, we saw last week, is a prayer that that God would give success to the king in battle, that God would give David success as he goes forth. And Psalm 21 gives thanks to God for answering the prayers of Psalm 20. So Psalm 20 and 21 make up a, a pair, they form a pair of royal psalms. A good part of the reason for preaching through the psalms during the summer is understanding that you didn't need to necessarily hear last week's sermon to understand this week's sermon. And that's only about half true today. Uh, it's not going to throw you off too much if you miss last week, but we will reference, we will refer to Psalm 20 a few times as we go throughout Psalm 21. So you might need to look back to Psalm 20 as we venture through Psalm 21. Just for your information, this is a public service announcement to you. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, please turn with me to Psalm 21 and follow along as we read from God's holy word. Psalm 21, 1 through 6. The king rejoices in your strength, Lord. How great is his joy in the victories you give. You've granted him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. You came to greet him with rich blessings. You placed a crown of pure gold on his head. He asked you for life and you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. Through the victories you gave, his glory is great. You've bestowed upon him splendor and majesty. Surely you have granted him unending blessings and made him glad with the joy of your presence. This is a particular thankfulness. As I mentioned, this psalm is remembering the previous psalm. The first part of Psalm 20 last week uh, we saw it's a prayer, a prayer of the people on behalf of the king. The people had prayed for the safety and the victory of the king as he prepared to go to war. And now the people declare here in Psalm 21 that the Lord has indeed answered their prayer, their petition and the king's. Said so you have granted, verse 2, his heart's desire, have not withheld the request of his lips. What we're dealing with then is thanksgiving. The Lord has given a positive answer to Israel's prayers, and their gratitude is showing. They sing a song of thankfulness to their God, as would you. You ever had an answer to prayer? Just blatant answer to prayer, positive answer to prayer? Well, maybe you sing. Certainly you're thankful, and if you don't sing, maybe you should sing. God's people sing when they are saved. Even more, the people of God go into detail when they tell what was involved in the Lord's answer to their prayers. Verses 1 through 2 of Psalm 21 is the basic recognition of God's goodness. And verses 3 through 6 are the rehashing of the details. 
the fleshing out of what is mentioned in verses 1 and 2. The people highlight the goodness of God, that, that he is lavished upon the king. They say the gold crown. They talk about the glory and the splendor, the rich blessings, the victory, the preservation of the king. They say he asked you for life and you gave it to him. It's pretty incredible. The people sing that the Lord gave him length of days. Do you see it? Length of days forever and ever. Verse 4. Without question, this refers to the ongoing royal line of David that the Lord promised would go on forever and ever. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, the Lord promised David, made a covenant with David. He said, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. All this goes right along with the people's praise. In verse 6, surely you granted him unending blessings. And made him glad with the joy of your presence. Unending blessings. All the gifts and goodness the Lord heaps upon the appointed head of his people, all those gifts and goodness overflow to the people as well. And the joy, the joy the king has in the Lord's presence, the king's supreme good, nothing is better than being in the presence of God, enjoying the presence of the Lord. Nothing is as good as that. These first six verses amount to thankfulness. Thankfulness for answered prayer. Thankfulness for blessing and preserving the king. This is a particular thankfulness. The the people here are careful to remember a particular deliverance of the king, right? They're thanking God for the most recent answer to their prayers, giving victory to David. I believe that this Learning to be particular in our thankfulness is our first takeaway from this psalm. That we remember particular deliverances with particular thanks. Dale Ralph Davis, one of my my favorite commentators, he says this, and I'll try to say it. It's hard for a kid with a speech impediment. Too often, we are not particularly particular about particularizing pretty impressive, right? We are not particularly particular about particularizing. We are masters of grand generalizations. Thank you, Lord, for your many, many blessings. Thank you for all that you have done. And it's not wrong to pray a prayer like that. It's just just very general. I'm guilty of praying very general, highly generalized prayers. And the Holy Spirit is using Psalm 21 to break me of that habit. Psalm 21 is trying its best to get me to particularize. Instead of praying and thanking the Lord for a generic, everything you've done for us, we should be more particular. Here's just a sampling of the particular deliverances of the Lord. Lord, we thank you for sparing Don's life from that railroad accident and for saving Roy's life despite that massive brain bleed for keeping Richard Kithcart alive after his fall, for watching over Helen in the hospital when they did their best to kill her, for the grace you've shown us in bringing Tyler through heart surgery and Tishy through brain surgery, for keeping boots with us all these years, for your mercy amid cancer diagnoses, through loss and hardship and heartache. That's just a brief sampling. We could go person by person and thank the Lord, and maybe we should, Yeah, maybe we should. Maybe not person by person. But what particular deliverance might you be thankful for? Don't shout it out. Don't be shy. 
Nancy. Mm. Deliverance of sin. How has the Lord saved you, particularly? From what has the Lord saved you? Shout it out. We're thankful, aren't we? And we should be a particularly thankful people. We can learn something from prayers who pray particularly. Maybe you had a grandma, Joanne. Ooh, that's poetic. I like that, Joanne. Making molehills out of my mountains. Absolutely. Yep, that's right. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Still alive. And that was 2009? That was 2009? Wow. That's incredible. Well, shouldn't we all thank the Lord that we get up every morning? Maybe you had a grandma or someone in your life who prayed for you specifically particularly each day by name, covering your particular situation, all the topics specific to you. We can learn something from people who pray particularly. Joshua chapter 12, I I had our uh, Sunday school class look up a verse in Joshua chapter 12 today, and they said, well, that's odd. Joshua chapter 12 is so long because instead of just short-circuiting and saying in general that Israel struck down a bunch of kings— Joshua chapter 12 takes the time to name each and every one of the kings that Israel defeated, all 31 of them, highlighting, as it were, the 31 flavors of God's faithfulness. Look at how God's been faithful, each and every one. He's kept us and defeated them. Instead of blanket prayers, shouldn't I take the time to name one or three or 31 of the Lord's blessings 
and then dwell upon them in praise. Instead of thanking God generally for his many, many blessings, maybe I should pray, Lord, thank you for bringing me through this last year. As hard as it was, all the ups and downs, I know your hand was in it all. Heavenly Father, I praise you for eight and a half years of marriage to the most amazing wife. And nine years of pastoring this incredible church. And one year as a father to four incredible kids. I could camp out in praise upon those particular blessings until the cows came home. And then some. Ronnie Martin, a pastor, writes, No shortage of thankfulnesses if we dare make a list. No shortage of thankfulnesses. And maybe the hymn writer was on to something when they wrote, Count your many blessings, name them one by one. Be thankful. Psalm 21 would have us be thankful and be particular about it. Name them particularly. Look with me at verse 7. For the king trusts in the Lord through the unfailing love of the Most High. He will not be shaken. There's a particular thankfulness and there's a current thankfulness. Here again is the the faithful, steadfast, covenant love of God. Unfailing love. No matter who followed David in the line of kingly succession, no matter their faithfulness, no matter how badly they would try to screw it up, For David and company, the Lord promised David, my love, my hesed love, I will never take away from David's offspring. Never. In spite of human sinfulness and historic stupidity, there is a defiant indestructibility about the Lord's covenant with David. It's indestructible. It has to do with hesed, with God's faithful love. It will never, ever, ever fade or falter, or fail. We know this has proved to be the case that that God's covenant with David has never failed, never, never faltered, never faded, because, well, look around. Here we are. If God had given up on David, the the covenant promise he'd made to David, if God's love had a shelf life or an expiration date, not a single one of us would be here today. Not one of us. After multiple generations of God's people making a royal mess of things, here we are. After years in exile and the bleak years after they returned to the land, it may have seemed that the Lord's kingdom was finally finished. But then, but then a shoot shot up from the stump of Jesse, and a virgin living in Nazareth heard this about her son. Luke chapter 1 says, He will be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. The Lord's hesed love prevailed. No way was the Lord going to let his plan with David sit on the bench or, or get lost in the back of some closet somewhere. The confidence that David has here in this psalm is this. There's no way the Lord would allow his plan to fail. And this confidence isn't just for kings in the Old Testament. It's for Doug and Debbie Israelite as well. It's for the common folk. It's for you and me. It's for all of his people. Our life is flimsy stuff, isn't it? 
It has that kind of here today gone no shape to it. But the Hesed love of God is from everlasting in one direction to everlasting in the other. It extends to all those who fear him and to their children's children, 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 on and on and on, generation after generation. The Hesed love of God is as eternal as he is. He's from everlasting to everlasting, and so is his love. His Hesed love is a reflection of who he is. And if God's eternal, his covenant love is eternal. So my fragile life, which is always, let's admit, just day to day, breath to breath, moment to moment, my fragile life and yours is taken up, it's wrapped around, and it's held fast with an everlasting love. Again, the king trusts in the Lord through the unfailing love of the Most High. He will not be shaken. This verse begs us to draw a conclusion. The Lord's hesed love then will keep hold of you through death, into resurrection and beyond. So that last line of verse 7, he will not be shaken, describes your lot as much as it does David's. Jesus' hesed love refuses to budge. It's love that, that simply will not let go. Jesus, Jesus loves us with a love that is not simply love. It's love with super glue on it. It's hermetically sealed and stitched on. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from his Hesed love because it's sealed in his blood. And this is our current state. When nothing else is known about today, when we have nothing else, we as Christians absolutely have this, his unfailing Hesed love. And for this, we can be thankful, right? There's a current thankfulness, and there's an advance thankfulness, particular current advance. Here in these last verses, God's people are anticipating final triumph. The future tenses of verse 8 through 12 point out the ongoing success of the king. Notice as we read through these verses here in a bit, notice the wills and the winds. W-H-E-N-S. Wills and winds. David's most recent victory, the victory the people prayed for in Psalm 20, is not David's last victory. It's a part of a continuing pattern which will culminate in the final triumph of his kingdom. That triumph, that victory will take place when David's descendant, we know him as Jesus, appears in glory and puts down all his and his people's enemies. Second Thessalonians reads like this. It says, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. He'll give relief to you who were troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with an everlasting destruction, shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. 
on the day that he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. This is something to be thankful for now, even though it's a ways off. Now, we don't know how far off it is. It could be, could be tomorrow, could be tonight. But it's something to be thankful for. Even though it's not yet, it should flavor our praise. We need to take notice of the fact that the Lord will be triumphant. And this triumph comes by the elimination of the king's enemies. Their elimination is certain. Look at verse 8, Psalm 21, 8. Your hand will, again, I told you, notice the wills and the winds. Your hand will lay on all your enemies. Your right hand will seize your foes. It's certain and it's complete. Look at 9 through 10. When you appear for battle, will burn them up as, a, as in a blazing furnace. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and his fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from this earth, their posterity from the human race. And notice the justice of it all. Verse 11. Though they plot evil against you and devise wicked schemes, they cannot succeed. The people... The enemies of God are only getting their just desserts because they've plotted, they've schemed, they've connived in an attempt to overthrow the Lord's anointed. This is the teaching, the truth that one might call the dark side of the kingdom. This is the stuff that no one really comes to church for. This is the, you'll, you'll never hear it on, on certain TV channels, radio preachers. Uh, a lot of them will never say anything about this because it's not cheery. It's not happy. It's not your best life now. It's talking about the destruction of God's enemies. But realize, if you pray for the coming of God's kingdom, you are, by that very prayer, praying for all that opposes and assaults God's kingdom to be put down. Part of what we're praying when we pray, thy kingdom come, is go ahead and destroy the devil's work while you're at it. Your kingdom come, destroy him, destroy all the forces that revolt against you. Destroy every conspiracy against your word. The victory of the kingdom of God means, and it requires, the defeat of its enemies. This understanding ought to infect our thinking and our praying and our living. That God is going to stomp all of his enemies. We should, we should hold on to this in our prayers, in our living. But oftentimes it gets lost in our sentimentality. Well, God's just good. He's just kind. He's always loving. He's like a, he's like a nice puppy dog. Just really friendly all the time. Tail wagging. He's just happy to see us. Well, that's not the God of the Bible. I love this story about a Scottish pastor named Alexander Pope. Uh, he served in a town, he ministered in a town where the local bar seemed to be busier than the local church, more crowded than the local church. One Lord's Day, uh, evening of the Lord's Day, after the ch evening church service was over, Mr. Pope was sitting outside his home, which happened to be very near the bar. And a couple of drunks walked by, and they invited Mr. Pope to join them. He refused and then rebuked them for desecrating the Lord's Day. They got angry, and they headed into the tavern. And a few minutes later, they come back out with a bunch of their inebriated friends. Mr. Pope rose from his chair, and he, he kept his back to the wall. And an important detail in this story is that Mr. Pope usually carried with him 
oh, to be a pastor in this time. Uh, he, he usually carried with him a small club called the Bailey. He just, a stout, small club. Uh, I don't know, if I carried a club with me, I don't know that anyone would ever come by my office. The leader of the thugs decided to make a gesture of peace to Mr. Pope, and he filled a cup with whiskey and handed it to him. The pastor refused, and he rebuked the mob again. And as you can imagine, they were in no mood for a sermon. And so they took the glass full of whiskey and chucked it at his head. And then the man who offered him the glass of whiskey decided to rush him and came right toward Pope. And with one hit, with that tiny little club that he had, knocked that man, the drunk fellow, right to the ground, right in front of him. And a couple other men tried to attack Mr. Pope, and he just (laughs) clubbed him off. And there were four or five rolling around on the ground. And that seemed, uh, historians tell us, to sober up the crowd a little bit. And the, the drunks all dissipated. It's really quite simple. If Mr. Pope was to stay on his feet, they must be knocked off of theirs. If he was to remain in one piece, some skulls had to be cracked, right? It's not pretty. We may not like it. It sounds brutal, but the principle is clear. If the kingdom comes, opposition has to crumble. If the kingdom triumphs, all that despises and opposes and assails must take a club to the head. It's got to be taken out. Our prayers and our praise are seasoned by this understanding. We should be thankful in advance for the triumph of the king of kings because it's coming. And in our praying, we ought to reflect this understanding. On the one hand, we know that we are to pray for our enemies and love those who persecute us, right? Jesus gave us our marching orders. In Matthew chapter 5, he said, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When, however, the enemies are not only our enemies but God's enemies, there are times when we also have to pray against persecutors. Like David's prayer in Psalm 17, just a few weeks ago, we read David prayed, rise up, Lord, confront them, bring them down. With your sword, rescue me from the wicked. We pray with the assumption that if God's kingdom is going to come, then those torturing and persecuting God's people have to be dealt with. It's a proper way to pray, even if it feels a little funny to us. Anticipating Christ's final victory, we plead for him to give us glimpses of that victory now. You understand that there are Christians all over the world who are brutalized for nothing more than their faith in Jesus Christ. We live a really cushy life, but we should pray for those enemies of God's people, enemies of God, to be brought down. We should. When's the last time you prayed a prayer like that? It's rare. With David, we join our voices in worship, and we say to the Lord, Be exalted in your strength, Lord. We will sing and praise your might. That's the end of this psalm. We will sing and praise your might. In our praise, we give thanks for the strength and the might of the Lord. We praise him for all that he's done. Recent deliverances, recent blessings, particular praises. Spend some time this week, make a list of all your particular deliverances, what the Lord has done for you, and then spend time praising the Lord for that, or particular blessings, what he's done. 
We praise him for all that he's done. We praise him for our current assurance that we have because of his unfailing Hesed love. You ever praise the Lord for your assurance, the assurance you have that in Christ you are his, you are saved, you are kept, that you're held in his mighty right hand? And who in the world can take us out of his mighty right hand? Nobody. Nothing. Praise him for your assurance. That's your current state of thankfulness. That's today. And give thanks in advance to the king whose kingdom will prevail. We look around, read the world news, and it's terrifying what's happening to God's people. But we know that God will win. He will have the ultimate victory he already already has in Jesus. This we know. Friends, be thankful. Particularly, currently, and in advance for what the Lord will do. Be thankful. Father, we thank you for, for this psalm. Pray for us. in peace. Serve the Lord. Love you all. Do you wish that you could see it all?